everybody. This is I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, let me briefly introduce myself. My name is Christian Keeter, and I am on staff at an international discipleship ministry called Mentoring Men for the Master, which is based out of North Carolina on the East Coast, which is where I live with my beautiful, amazing, godly wife and our two wonderful daughters. So I'll say at the outset of this episode that I'm pretty jazzed, and uh, I hope you can already tell, but this should have higher audio quality than previous episodes because this is my first episode recorded using uh, my new microphone. got it for my birthday, and so hopefully it will have a noticeably higher audio quality, um, just improve the listening experience of these episodes. I'm, I'm sure it's got to be better than just the recording app on my phone, but even if it's not, you still just feel way cooler talking into a microphone than into a phone. <laughs> so... Hopefully this um, improves the audio level. So today's episode, we're talking about a question that I wanted to answer. Um, I got emailed a question, and uh, it's probably a question, and I know it's a question that many people have thought about in the past, and the funny thing is, in the interim between the time that I received this email, somebody else entirely brought up this subject, and I actually received that very much as confirmation from the Lord, because I was just going to respond to the email, um, but through considering this and even talking with my wife about it, um, I came to realize that the best way to do this would be to make it into an actual podcast episode, because more people are asking this question, and I, I'd, I'd like to help as much as I can. So with all that introduction, what is the question? The question, simply put, is what happens to those who never heard the gospel? What happens to them? Do they go to hell? Uh, what, what is their fate since you know they never heard the gospel? It could be that they grew up in just a completely different religion and had you know no access to it. It could be that they it could be anything. They just they just weren't exposed to the gospel. And so, how do we answer that question? What is the what is the answer to that? Because it's a difficult question, obviously. It is a question that has a lot of emotion behind it. And part of the reason that it has a lot of emotion behind it was because when somebody hears that question and they're thinking about that question, they realize that the answer to that question could have implications on the character of God and what he's like. And so I think that this puts a lot of um, puts a lot of emotion behind it. So let's um, let's begin to talk about this. I am going to do my very best, as in all episodes, just to be faithful to the text of the Bible, um, just what the Lord has said through His Word. That's what I want to do. I don't want to deviate away from it. Um, I want to accurately represent the Word of God. And uh, I've said this before, I think, but just because somebody is a speaker or a preacher or a podcaster, don't just take it at face value because they said it. Search the scriptures. Be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 who would examine from the scriptures what they were hearing Paul say. They therefore, you know, came to believe and agree with what he was saying and believe the gospel. But they did their homework. They researched it. And that's part of the reason why I put so much scripture, or I at least try to put so much scripture in these episodes, is because I want you to realize I'm not just pulling this stuff out of the air. This is, I have scripture that I want to share with you, and I want to equip you with this and, and just show you that I'm not just making this stuff up. So, with all that, let's get into this. It's going to be a scripture heavy episode, um, but that's hardly out of the ordinary. 
So, like I said, the question of what happens to those who never hear the gospel can be a difficult and emotionally charged topic. Um, And part of the reason is because it gets turned into an issue about God's justice or his fairness. Because the question is, well, is God just or fair? Is it, for example, if somebody never heard the gospel, is it right? Is it just? Is it fair for such a person to be separated from God, for such a person to go to hell? And so what we're going to do, we're going to start by looking at the character of God. Because one thing that we do, and this is this is backwards, one thing we'll do is we'll look at a circumstance, look at a situation, even a hypothetical situation, even a theoretical situation, and we will interpret God's character through the lens of that circumstance. We will try to project what we think the implications of that circumstance to be onto God's character. And so... A simple example of this would be something like, I prayed for something, I didn't get it, therefore God does not love me, because otherwise he would have given me what I wanted. That's starting at a circumstance and then interpreting God's character through the circumstance, but that's 100% backwards. Rather, we start with, I know God loves me. I know he loves me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, you know, John 3.16, you can think about 1 John 4, where it says God is love. You can think about... Um, Romans 5, where it says that God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, there's plenty of places that talk about God's love for us and how, uh, and and, in Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we have to start with, no, God loves me and God, and that conviction about the character of God will cause me to interpret my circumstances through the the lens of God's character, not the other way around. I hope this is making sense because this is crucially important. So with this topic, with this topic, we are going to be doing the same sort of thing. We're not just going to look at this this topic and start coming to conclusions about God's character. We're going to look at God's character and come to conclusions about this topic and uh, a lot of a lot of scripture. So let's get into this. So let me begin with some scriptures about God's justice and about His fairness because that's one of the big things in questions here. In question here, Psalm thirty three four through five says, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So we can hear right there, all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. He says, I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So we see just, and I could go further. There are plenty of scriptures I could talk about. The justice, the fairness, the righteousness of God. And the, the Bible is replete with examples. But these are just a few, a few examples just to show, okay, no, God is fair. God is just. God is righteous. What he does is right. What he does is fair. What he does is just. And so we have to start with this conviction. We have to know at the outset that God is just. He is fair. He's fair. He's just. 
Very important to have this conviction. It will inform the rest of this conversation. But God is not only just, he's also love. Like it says in 1 John 4, God is love. A few verses to talk about this. John 3.16, arguably the most famous passage in the entire Bible, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so this is actually a good time to cut in and just talk about how the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus is where we most clearly see these two characteristics of God at work, both his justice and his, his justice and his fairness, as well as his love. And so how? Well, the Bible makes it clear, Romans 3.23, that um, you know, all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it says, the wages of sin is death. And so the just and fair thing for God to do is to punish sin. It is for his wrath to remain on sin. I mean, that you might have heard the example even of an earthly judge. If an earthly judge does not punish evil, then he's not a good judge. If he just lets it go, then he's not a good judge. And so God is just. He's just, and so evil, sin must be punished. However, like we've seen, he's also love. He's merciful. And so how can these things work together? Well, as we already read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus came, and Jesus died a death that he did not deserve, so that through him, those of us who put our trust in him, could experience a life that we don't deserve. And so he's just in that sin was punished. It was paid for by Jesus. It was atoned for by Jesus. Jesus paid the debt. He paid the price. So his justice is satisfied there. And he's also merciful in that he extends to us a way to himself. Like Jesus said in John fourteen six, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we see that in the gospel, we see very clearly, very explicitly, God's justice, his, uh, his wrath against sin, how his justice was, um, and his fairness was, was clearly manifested in the punishment for sin, but also his mercy extended to, um, to us. That, uh, that like it says in John three sixteen again, um, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. One other uh, interesting place where we see um, God's love and mercy as well as his justice displayed is in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, where the Lord is actually like describing himself to Moses. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Let me pause and cut in and say, there's, that's just like lavish mercy and love. But then it continues. But who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so we see um, there the justice, the punishment for sin, and just the the uh, effects of sin, the consequences of sin. And so we see both of those things in that in that passage as well. And so the next thing that we need to understand is that God does not delight in the death of anyone, and that his heart is for people to come to repentance and to live. His heart is for people to place their trust in Jesus and experience life in his name and to have peace with God. And this is just, I mean, if you just think about the gospel, this totally, it, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's the reasonable conclusion to come to, because why else would Jesus have come? Why else would the Father have sent his Son if he didn't want people to repent? And so, he doesn't delight in the death of anyone. So, Ezekiel 18.32, listen closely to this. This is so important. It says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. I just wanted to read it twice there because that is so powerful. Listen to 2 Peter 3, 8-9. through 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Now listen to this. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we see that God is based on these verses we can we can already we can come to certain convictions and, and that will equip us to approach this topic God is just and fair in all that he does in all that he does like it says in Psalm 33 again all his work is done in faithfulness in Psalm 33 4 through 5 so all his work is done in faithfulness he loves righteousness and justice and so he says in uh, Jeremiah 9, again, I know I'm just repeating stuff, but just to keep it in front of us, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, he says, I practice, I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. So we know he's just, we know that he's love, that he's merciful, and we know that he doesn't delight in the death of anyone. So now we can approach this topic. And it leads us to the next thing that we have to explore, which is what does the Bible say will lead to someone's salvation? If we're asking what happens to people who didn't hear the gospel, we have to ask the question of well, what saved somebody in the first place? What leads to peace with and life with God? John 1, 12 through 13 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so it says, okay, it explicitly says who is and who is not a child of God. Who is a child of God according to this verse? All who received him, who believed in his name. Of course, we're talking about Jesus here. But all who did receive Jesus, all who did believe in his name. Later, at the end of the gospel, according to John, in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, it says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the present. Uh, other, okay, let me start that over. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Explicitly says that believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, leads to life in his name. Again, John 3.16, it's even there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, listen to this part, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we see, what, what is the recurring theme here? Belief in Jesus, believing in Jesus, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so we get, again, list many more passages about this. It's all over the place. But this illustrates the point. And so it's belief in, um, or to word it a little bit differently, it's trust in, it's putting our faith in, Jesus that leads to our salvation. That's what leads to somebody being saved. That's what leads to peace with God. It's putting our trust, our belief, our faith in Jesus. And it's worth noting that this is more than just an intellectual belief. It's more than just agreeing with the facts written in the Bible. It is placing all your hope in the person of Jesus, knowing that there is no other means by which we can have peace with God. It's giving our life to him. It's making him king over our life. And when somebody does this, there's a change. They're no longer the same person. They change. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so there is something that changes inside of us. Um, and I'm sharing this because this is an important part of the conversation. Because there are people who have intellectually agreed with the facts of the gospel who are not actually born again, who are not actually Christians, and they even they might even think that they are. And let me let me actually read a verse from Matthew 7 real quick just to back up what I just said. Jesus said, this is Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare then and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so what is it? He says, I never knew you. Yea, you did these things. You prophesied, um, he says, did, uh, prophesied in his name, cast out demons in his name, did many mighty works in his name, but they never knew him. And so likewise, we can go to church, we can pray, we can feed the homeless, we can do all these things, and yet not actually be changed. One of the big evidences of change is actually said in the beginning of that passage where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so does that mean we can earn our salvation? No, that's not what that means, because in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so it's the grace of God that saves us. It's not anything we can do to earn it. So when Jesus is saying, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, after we've been born again, there's a change. We're not perfect. I'm not suggesting that we're going to be perfect this side of heaven. We're not going to be perfect in this life. However, there's a change, and there's a desire to do God's will. And yes, sometimes it gets muddied. Sometimes it gets pushed down by the flesh. Sometimes we resist that. Um, we grieve the Spirit, and I understand that. But there is a change where we begin to hate the sin in our life that used to not bother us, and we want to obey God, and we want to know Him more. And so, um, 1 John 3.6, let me back this up a little bit more. It says, No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Again, this does not mean perfection. Um, actually, earlier in this same letter, 1 John talks about um, 
It says, uh, in fact, let me let me just go there right now. First John one, same letter, exact same letter. Um, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, then he goes on. This is beginning in. The, carrying on in chapter 2, verse 1. He said, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so he's not talking about sinless perfection. And so understanding what he's talking about is where he says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, which has the air of like a habitual lifestyle. There's a change in us. There's a change. This is a little bit of, I understand, a slight caveat. I mean, this is, but this is so important because we need, if we're going to talk about saving faith and how someone is born again, we have to talk about the fact that there's evidence of a change. And so, looping back around, caveat over, the way that we're born again is belief, trust, faith in Jesus. Believing he is who he says he is, believing he did what he said he did, believing in his sacrificial death on the cross, and believing that that's enough for us to have peace with God and placing our hope in that. And that will lead to a changed life. Again, I already quoted John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in this passage, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that there is no other means than through him by which someone can be saved. There's no other way to peace with God except through Jesus Christ. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this truth is reiterated in um, Acts 4.12 where it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So now we've done a lot of setup. We've gone on a crazy journey through the Bible so far. And so now we can actually answer the question, But even after answering it, I still have some work to do. So the simple answer is that if somebody dies without knowing Jesus, then that person is not in heaven. That person is separated from the Lord. And that's the bottom line. If somebody dies not having put their trust in Jesus, then they're separated from him. Then they would be in hell. But our conversation is not over yet. There are still things to consider here. Because somebody could say, well, how is that fair? How is that fair if somebody never heard the message at all? How is that fair at all? So, let me let me highlight a few things. And these things should be encouraging. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. In Psalm 19, 1 through 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So we see from these two passages that just by looking at the physical world, just by looking at the created earth on which we live, this should lead us to think about the one who created it. This um, should lead us to ask questions about where this came from. This should lead us to conclusions that there is a creator. And some of his attributes can be seen through this. Um, You can look at how everything is ordered and come to the conclusion, well, well, whoever created this is is a god of order. And, you know, while I'm not not saying that, you know, seeing these things in nature, they, they obviously won't necessarily lead to a saving faith because to be saved, one must put their trust in Jesus. 
Seeing these things certainly can lead people in the right direction with some of the questions that they are asking. And actually, while I was looking into this subject and you know working on originally what I thought was just going to be a response to an email and not a full-on episode, I saw something that somebody highlighted that was really, really encouraging and cool and helpful and maps onto things that I've heard about before. That's an important thing to mention in this, um, this episode. So many of you will remember Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. He's a Gentile. Um, at this point, the church is pretty young. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, came in Acts chapter 2. A bunch of people were born again. In Acts chapter 8, the gospel went to the Samaritans. And then in Acts chapter 10 is when it reaches the Gentiles as well. So I'm not going to reread the entire story, but Peter is up on the roof of a house. He's praying and he has a vision where there is this big sheet lowered from the heavens and there are all sorts of animals in it, clean and unclean animals, according to the law of Moses. And so the Lord says to Peter, he says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, by, you know, by no means there's unclean animals in there. And God says, um, do not call unclean what I have called clean. In fact, let me, I don't want to misquote, you know, the Lord here. So let me pull up Acts chapter 10 here. Yeah. So he says, um, and it were all kinds of animals. And yeah, the Lord says, this is Acts 10, 13, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. And so Peter's thinking about this and then. He's wondering what this could mean. Um, there were there were some men that were sent by Cornelius. They were looking for Peter. They stood at the gate, and they asked if Peter was there. And while Peter was thinking about this vision, this thing that he had just seen, the Spirit said to him, told him, Behold, three men are looking for you. And I'm just kind of skimming across this just to get us to the point. You can read all about this in Acts chapter 10. And the Holy Spirit tells him, Go and accompany these men without hesitation. I, I've sent them. You, you go with these guys. Um, Peter goes down and he joins him and goes back to Cornelius's house. And so Cornelius is the guy who sent these guys. He's a Roman. And they get there and uh, Cornelius it says Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And Peter, when Peter entered, um, <laughs> uh, this is kind of funny. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. Um, and so they're talking and uh, they're having this conversation and Cornelius shares something. This is very important for this conversation we're happening or having right now. It's in, so I'm beginning in Acts 10 30. I'm just going to start reading it. It says, and Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And Peter, of course, proceeds to share the gospel with him. But what happens here? The man in bright clothing is obviously an angel, clearly. I mean, it's just, there's there's no dispute about that. And so what happens, you know, Cornelius is here. He's Cornelius wants to know the truth. He's praying in the house about the ninth. He's, he's seeking the truth. And what happens is an angelic messenger comes and instructs him on who to talk to, connects him with someone who will share the gospel with him. 
And Cornelius, you know, he and his household, they get saved. They get born again. They get baptized. They get filled with the Spirit. All this stuff happens, like, right in the next few verses. This is so important. This is so important because we have to have a category for the supernatural. We have to. The Lord can supernaturally intervene. Perhaps you've heard about this. Other countries, I've heard about specifically happening in some Muslim countries where people will have like dreams in which the Lord appears to them. And through a sequence of events, because of this dream, they end up becoming Jesus followers. They become born again. And now some people would scoff and be like, well, I don't know if that sort of thing actually happens. To which I would say, but they were saved. Like, so if somebody were to say, I don't know if that sort of thing happens today, let's just look at what happened. Somebody claims they had a dream in which Jesus appeared to them and, and, and told them about somebody they need to speak to or Lord has showed himself to them in some meaningful way that led to them becoming Jesus followers. Why would anybody try to talk them out of that? Why would somebody say, oh, no, 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 that wasn't sincere and you should probably rethink your salvation and conviction. No, it's like, no, 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 that's just, that's silly. Don't know. No, no, no. Something happened. People wouldn't just up and completely change the religion that they grew up with if something did not happen. People would not abandon, you know, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, these sorts of things and start following Jesus, breaking away from family tradition and ties to follow Jesus, even knowing that this could really mean, um, I mean, being disowned by family members, excommunicated from certain um, uh, communities. And so we have to have a category for the supernatural. And so what can we know about Cornelius? Cornelius wanted to know the truth. He wanted to know the truth. So hypothetically speaking, um, if there's somebody from another, you know, who had never heard about the Lord, but they're looking at creation and they want to know, you know, they can tell it's like this, you know, this, this all didn't just come to be. There's a mind behind this, um, a creative mind. And who is that? What's he like? Like, it is totally reasonable to think that, yeah, the Lord could supernaturally intervene. Um, the Lord could appear to this person in a dream, in a vision. An angel could come. Who knows? And I'm just, again, what I have to offer is what the Bible says. Um, so listen, I know that this doesn't necessarily um, solve all the problems here, but I hope it at least contributes to the conversation. Because I, I know that this doesn't put a neat bow on this. But I hope that it does answer the question. So if somebody dies apart from the Lord, whether or not they've heard the gospel, yeah, they'll be in hell. They'll be separated from him. But we're all, but we're none of us are without excuse because God can, you know, his attributes can be clearly seen in creation, like we saw from Romans 120, from Psalm 19, 1 and 2. And we also see that if anyone is really interested in knowing the truth, it's quite possible that the Lord would supernaturally intervene. It's possible. I'm not suggesting that he does that every single time, and I don't understand why. Yeah, I don't understand the ins and the outs of that, but I'm saying we have a biblical precedent for this. And so these are important things to remember. But there's two more things we have to very briefly discuss before we're wrapped up here that pertain to this conversation. And so the first one that we're going to be talking about, these last two items I want to discuss, is something that honestly um, I, I historically haven't really had a category for. It's something that's new for me, and there's still things I don't understand about it. And so I'm, I'm going to share with you kind of I guess where I am in the process and just kind of put it at your feet um, as a possible, as a possible contributor to this conversation. So um, before doing this lesson, before I was completely done and prepared and everything, I, one parable of Jesus's came to my mind that I knew I needed to look into before finishing and posting this episode. And so I, I looked into that and we're going to read through it here. And I'm just going to point out a couple things and 
I'll go ahead and say at the outset, I'm not going to be conclusive about what I'm about to say, but this needs to be in the conversation um, as something. And the reason I'm not going to be conclusive is not because, um, well, it's just because I want to make sure that I'm understanding things correctly. And so I'm still working through all this stuff myself, but it's relevant. So Luke 12, 35 through 48. It's a uh, it's a parable that Jesus tells. Um, I'm just going to read the whole thing. It won't take uh, it won't take that long. But and I'll and I'll pause some to offer some commentary along the way. Luke 12, 35 through 48. Jesus says, "Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes." Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So let's pause here for a second. This parable is obviously about the return of Jesus. And it says right there, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So it's talking about um, his return. So continuing, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So, pause again. So, that's good. Good servant. Yeah, he's he's being faithful in the in the master's absence. Let's keep going. Um, let's see. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much, uh, everyone to whom much was given of him, will much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So we could talk. It's a long parable. We could talk about that from so many different angles for a long time, but I just want to focus in on one uh, verse there at the very, very end that could really contribute to this conversation. It's where he said that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. That's really curious. That's very interesting. And again, I'm not about to be dogmatic because I, I still don't know myself uh, where I stand on this, you know, or where what what is true. I'm still working kind of through this. But it needs to be brought up as a possibility. What could possibly be in view here is degrees of punishment degrees of punishment, which would seem to imply that not, and again, I want to be careful here, but that not everyone's experience in hell will be exactly the same. Yes, anyone in hell is separated from the Lord. Yeah, obviously. Anyone in hell, hell is not a good place, is not the place you want to be, out of the presence of the Lord, separated from him. Uh, if you go through the Bible and look at the way that hell is described, it is not a good place. Um, I mean, there's talk of being cast into the outer darkness. Um, there's talk about where Jesus says where the fire is not, um, where where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so it's not, you know, not good um, 
not a not a good place. However, these verses would seem to imply that there would be varying degrees of punishment based off of what somebody knew. So like it says, um, the one who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating. Notice the second one still did what deserved a beating. That person will receive a light beating as opposed to a severe beating that the other person who did know received. And so what this could be talking about, again, I'm not being dogmatic here, but it could be talking about, like I said, varying degrees of hell. And if somebody had not heard the gospel, if somebody had not been exposed to it, or if somebody had had limited information that their experience in hell would not be as bad as those who um, stiff-armed the gospel, who knew it, who rejected it outright and just knew it. And so you can see why this kind of made me a little uncomfortable, but I just, I, I want to be faithful to the text. I want to be faithful to this. And so I'm not being, I know this is the third time I've said this, I think not being dogmatic about this because I'm not sure. I'm not positive that that is what is in view here. It could mean something else. It could have to do with um, uh, heavenly rewards maybe or something. And, you know, not, not receiving, um, uh, heavenly rewards, because there's definitely talk about rewards in heaven, and that's a different topic. So it could be that. I'm not sure. However, there's other passages to keep in mind as well. So let me read um, Matthew 11, 20 through 24. And this isn't the only other place you see this sort of thing, but it contributes to this conversation. Jesus speaking. Um, it says, talking about Jesus, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And so even in there, it sounds like varying degrees. It's talking about, you know, on the, um, it talks about, uh, let's see here, on, on the day of judgment. We're talking about judgment day here. And so it's talking about it'll be more bearable than some. And so if these verses, if that passage out of Matthew is all that we had, I might be like, well, you know, maybe Jesus is just using hyperbole to really communicate a point here. I don't know. But we have this passage in Luke, and there's other passages as well. Um, uh, Matthew 10, 14 through 15, uh, similar sort of thing. Uh, Jesus says, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, this is when he sent out um, his disciples to go preach. Let me let me get the exact details here. So Matthew 10, um, this is when he sent out, yeah, the 12. Um, sends out the 12 apostles. And he says to them, uh, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And so there's a similar sort of thing there. And so, I mean, again, I realize there could be other explanations to these passages, and that's why I'm not um, being more emphatic and decisive about what I think they mean. But this is on the table. And so, you know, at this point, we could once again, people could say, well, again, how would it even be fair for people who haven't heard, you know, the gospel to be punished at all, um, period, regardless of what that passage, uh, that parable means. And so we just got to return. The character of God is, he is just, he is fair. And we need to understand what fairness is. Fairness and justice is for sin to be punished. 
Like it says, the wages of sin is death, and so for sin to be punished is totally fair. It, it's, it's totally fair and totally just. And so Jesus coming, that is God's grace. It is providing a way when there was no way. But we weren't entitled to the sacrifice of Jesus. That's God's grace. That's him doing something um, out of his love. And so it's totally, when for sin to be punished, that is just. And so even here, just in our day-to-day lives, if we're ignorant of the law, it doesn't mean that we're above the law. You know, we're still accountable to the law, even if we're ignorant about it. And so this is, uh, this, it's a, it's, I realize it's a multifaceted topic. Um, I really do. And, uh, and I realize it can be, like I said, an emotionally charged one. Um, but we got to remember passages like Romans 1, 20, and, um, uh, the Psalm 19 passage as well, verses one and two. So what are we supposed to do with all this information? Well, one, it should make us more active in sharing the gospel. If we are really concerned with what happens to those who, um, what happens to people who don't know the gospel and we don't want them to go to hell, then we would be active in sharing the gospel. It would be wrong for us to look at some of this information and to get um, upset about this information or even um, come to certain wrong conclusions about the character of God. It would be wrong for us to do any of that if we're at the same time you know, not even sharing the gospel ourselves. That would be a hypocritical frustration, actually. And so if we actually care, then we'll be involved in things like missions or even just sharing the gospel where we are in our spheres of influence. Um, so that's one thing that's really important. So it emphasizes the importance of um, active evangelism. One final note that's marginally related, but it's related enough that I want to discuss it here. And I'm not going to go through a full discussion because it's a full episode in and of itself. I'm just going to share some brief thoughts and then leave some information in the description to this episode. What about children, infants, the unborn, and the mentally handicapped who never are even capable of making a decision to follow Jesus? Young children, um, infants, again, the unborn, um, you know, biblically speaking, the unborn are just as human as the rest of us. Uh, Psalm 139, 13 through 16 reveals this. They are, um, they, they are not in the process of becoming human. They, they are human and they're nothing less than that. And so what happens to the unborn? Um, are they the same like these people who never heard the gospel? And this is what I'd say there is, this is a unique category it's one thing for somebody to never put their trust in the gospel. Um, it's another thing for a person to be truly incapable of doing so. Remember these other people, you know, like it says in Romans one twenty, Psalm 19, that just by looking at the created world, it's like you can come to certain conclusions. If we really want to know the truth, then the Lord can supernaturally intervene or um, missionaries, you know, can share the gospel with them. But supposing you're sitting down, you know, with somebody who has a severe mental handicap and you explain the gospel to them and they just can't understand it. What happens to them? Um, I believe 100% wholeheartedly that people in those categories, children, infants, unborn, mentally handicapped, are with the Lord when they die. I believe that they do not go to hell. I believe that they are in heaven with the Lord and that the sacrifice of Jesus will absolutely cover that and that um, his atoning work, because um, they, they never reached a place where they could even um, distinguish between right and wrong. Um, that doesn't mean that you know they earned heaven or anything like that. Nobody earns heaven. The only reason why we even have access is just because of what Jesus did. But the um, but the blood of Jesus, I believe the Lord will certainly apply it to them 
Because again, the Lord doesn't delight in the death of anyone. We got to look at the character of God. And so there are much um, longer uh, and more uh, exhaustive um, discussions about this specific topic, about that group of people. And I will include at least one link in the description, the show notes for this episode. So you can get on there and click that if you want more information. But I know that people in this audience probably maybe have lost people in those categories. And I want to really comfort you and say that I believe with all my heart and I believe that the Bible would back this up. And you can, again, you can, you can do more research in the resources I put down there that they are with the Lord, that they were with the Lord. And that frankly, if, if you are in Christ and you've put your trust in him, that you'll see that person again someday. Um, I don't know what the specifics of that will look like. I don't. And so I'll include that down there. That's Like I said, it's it's somewhat related to the subject, and it was related enough for me to want to include it. But that's going to be it for this time. I'm going to wrap up the episode now. hope this has been uh, motivating to be active in sharing the gospel. Um, hopefully this has been uh, encouraging. I know it hasn't answered all the questions or definitively solved the issue here, but at least I hope, for, hope that it's provided some food for thought and contributed to the conversation and that this episode has been a resource for you. All right, guys, take care. God bless you.